welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. The redemptive names of God. Can you believe this? We're only up to part two. We've had interruptions. Matt McGaw was here last week. That was good. Hey, having Matt back, which was fantastic. And then we had Danny Goog last night, and uh, I think the first week I tried to start speaking, but there was a whole heap of feedback from Madagascar, which kind of got in the way with week one. So then we retried week one. So I got, we got that under our belt, and we looked at some of the uh, qualities and attributes of God, and that's really what this series is all about. You know, at the heart of it is, is, is us knowing God by name. Humanity has seven basic needs. There's more, but there's seven basic ones. And I believe every one of those needs can be met by knowing God by name. And we looked at one of those names. And together with the compound names, they meet every one of those basic needs. Two weeks ago, we looked at Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, because that's what Jehovah means, Lord. And whenever you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, he is worthy of every capital letter. Lord, who provides. And we looked at the God who provided for Abraham and ultimately the God who provided for each and every one of us through his son, Jesus Christ. And today I want to look at another name and that is Jehovah Ra. R-A-A-H. Everyone say Ra. Ra. I'm sure there's meant to be a kind of an accent or something on that, but uh, Ra will do. And it simply means the Lord is my shepherd. Everyone say shepherd. I want to read to you a psalm that is known to so many Christians. In actual fact, it's so popular and so well-known and well-versed, many unsaved Unbelievers, people who have never been to church, are aware of this psalm. It's Psalm 23. And I would love for you to read it with me in your Bibles. I hope you still bring your Bibles to church. If you don't have a Bible, please feel free to look at it on the screen. But Psalm 23, verse 1 says this, and it's a psalm of David. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me so. So David wrote this psalm. David himself was a shepherd. And so this language for him was very meaningful. And while he was out tending the sheep, he penned these thoughts. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Many of you could shut your eyes and just recite it, couldn't you? He leads me beside still waters. I got one dollar for reciting this as a kid growing up. Dad said, if you learn the 23rd Psalm, I'll give you a buck. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Heard it before? Great. On the same page then. 
Here's the thing with this psalm. The setting is very Middle Eastern and it's very rural. Here's the problem. We live in a city in Australia. It's hard to know exactly what David was trying to communicate if you don't understand the context, the heart or the language behind what he's really trying to say. What makes our understanding of this passage of Scripture even harder to grasp is some of the illustrations that are out there and some of the things that have been said about this psalm and some of the pictures that have been painted. And so before I set a scene and create an image in your head, I have to get rid of some of the images. And so if we can have a few images up there behind me, you may have seen pictures like this before of Jesus Christ, halo and all, blonde hair, blue eyes, in this idyllic, serene, no problems ever environment. Jesus just there stroking and looking after you and tending to every one of your needs. What a great guy. If that's in your head, get it out. Because you are going to be sorely, sorely disappointed coming to this church. Jesus can be those things, but we don't live there. The other understanding we may have of shepherding is because we live in Australia and you may have done a trip, you know, a road trip and gone from Adelaide to Melbourne or Adelaide to Sydney or even Adelaide to Perth. I mean, what? And, and you drive through certain communities, rural communities, and you see the Aussie shepherd at work. And he's not like the Eastern shepherd. This guy's got his ute, got his dogs, yapping at the heels of the sheep from behind, driving Forcing, next picture please, and pushing the sheep to where they ought to go. Maybe that's your understanding of the 23rd Psalm. Come on, you lot, get in there. Serve Jesus with all your heart, you miserable lot. Come on, worship. Some of you have been in worship and you've been assaulted by the worship leader. Come on, worship. It's kind of not what I read into the Psalm 23. But there are images that are out there. How do I know that? I contend with them all the days of my life. Half of my issues I have with Christians is their inability to understand what the Scriptures are really saying. We have a mental image. Whatever subject I choose to pluck up the courage to share on, I'm on a hiding for nothing. I've had a great father, and so when I talk about the love of the father, it's one of my favorite subjects. The trouble is most people I minister to have not had that experience. And I mention father, and I can see the looks on people's faces. And so it is with this psalm, shepherd. Oh my goodness, shepherd, what would we know about? Who cares? I've got problems, I've got issues, man. I, I need something more than a shepherd. Well, let me try to dispel some of the imagery that's in your head possibly, And let's look at what David is really trying to communicate in the shortest possible time that I have. And can I just say this for those of you who feel like there is so much more to go into, you're right, but do that in your own time. Okay? Don't put that on to me. Do that in your own time. I just want to highlight some things that I believe that David is saying about Jehovah Ra, the Lord, 
his shepherd. Okay. My main issue with those images that we've just seen is none of them reflect the heart of God. And this series is about us knowing what God is really like and knowing him by name. What can we learn from David's, David's psalm? This, that the Lord is our shepherd and what makes him a shepherd is that he leads. Everyone say leads. leads. He leads the sheep. In other words, he's not the Aussie-style shepherd that's behind. He's the one that's in front. He's the one that goes before us and tests the waters. Everything that he's asking us to do, he has done himself. When he says, I want you to lay down your life, when he says, I want you to serve, when he said, I want you to give, that's what Jesus did. That's what leadership is. It's being at the front, setting an example. The Lord is my shepherd because he goes before me and he brings the direction that I need. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says this, to the church, follow me, guys. Become like me. I want lots of Pauls out there. Become like me. Follow my example. How arrogant. No, as he follows the example that Christ left him. Christianity is like this. And maybe this will bring back some memories for some of you. Who remembers playing follow the leader? And the leader, on any given occasion, would head the pack. And wherever the leader went, you went. And whatever the leader did, you did. So if the leader did that, that's what you did. You followed him and you did what he did. Do you remember playing that game? That's Christianity 101 right there. Jesus. I don't get it, but I'm going to do it because he's the boss. He's our shepherd. He's our leader. He's our commander in chief. He's our sergeant major. He's the boss. He's the head honcho. What he says goes. Here's the problem with most Christians today. We don't understand this. We get moved in a meeting like this and we say, that's wonderful. This Jesus guy is awesome. It's fantastic. I've got to have some of him in my life. And we invite Jesus into our world. Just like our PlayStation. We buy it and we bring a PlayStation back home and bring it into our world. That's not Christianity. Christianity is not us Inviting Jesus into our kingdom. Christianity is us getting into his kingdom. And getting into step and into line with his ways. And his thoughts. And his patterns. And his creeds. This is Christianity 101. Many people don't understand that. Jesus won't follow us around. I believe there are many people today that... Invite Jesus into the life for blessing, but not salvation. Bless me. I can see there's many people here who have been blessed since I've been a Christian. I want some of that. We don't want Jesus to be blessed. We want Jesus for him. He's our shepherd, our leader, our captain. Many people don't want a king. They want a sugar daddy. Many people don't want a saviour, they want a service provider. In actual fact, many people pay our service providers more respect than we do the king of kings. The Lord is our shepherd, which means we follow him in the good times. Woohoo! 
and also the bad times. David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he's with me. I would rather be with him in the valley of the shadow of death than partying without him. I'll follow him wherever he may go. This is Christianity 101. The great thing about his leadership is that it brings purpose and destiny to our lives. See, he's not just leading us in circles. Hey, guys, follow me. Hey, Jesus, haven't we been here before? He's taking us somewhere. He invites us in to the mission that he is on. See, this mission of saving the world is not the mission of the church. It's the mission of Christ. And we have the privilege to be invited to play our part. It's his mission. And he says, come, follow me into mission. And so many people just get out of it. And when the pressure's on, when you're asked to do something, and when you're asked to do something you don't like, or asked to do something long enough, we give up. Because we haven't counted the cost. Can I let you in on a little secret of what Christianity is? When you say yes to Jesus, you are saying yes to your own funeral. This is such an encouraging message, isn't it? It's awesome. Following Jesus means saying no to yourself. It means crucifying your flesh with all its earthly desires. And so we come to Christ as dead men. You and I are dead men walking. Following the one who is worth following. And he takes us on this journey and this sense of mission. And he brings purpose in our lives. And that's one of the key fundamental basic needs of every human being. Most people don't know why they're here. They don't know the meaning of life. Christ brings meaning to your life. As we follow him into mission, as we follow him into service, as we follow him into helping others and seeing the truth of Christ set people free. That's why we are here. It's not about setting up home here on earth. This is not our home. Our home is in heaven with him. Are you following this? It's a far cry from the pictures we've seen up there. One of the men who just shouted, good mate, at least I think I've got this right. I think that was Rad. And Rad's one of the guys that I'm talking about this morning. Because there's times I know that he's felt like giving up, because all people who are serving God have felt like that at time to time. And even this morning, after working all day on someone's roof, he comes to church, and there's a problem with the ladies' toilets. And Rad gets asked to fix it. He's not a plumber. He's not a woman. But he has to go into a woman's toilet to do a plumbing job. Now, I don't imagine, I don't imagine, he woke up and thought, oh Lord, please God, if you can grant me this one desire of my heart, that I would be asked to fix a leaky roof in a woman's toilet. At the very last minute, please God, 
grant me this one desire. For your word says you grant me the desires of my heart. I don't imagine his prayer life looked like that this morning. But that's what he was asked to do. And here's the thing. I'm sure he didn't want to do it. I'm sure he could have thought of better things to do. But when you've weighed up the cost and you realize that you're a dead man, you respond like this. And this is what Rad did this morning. A few deep breaths. They always help. Sorry, I didn't do that. That was just me messing around. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I would encourage you to let Jesus be Lord. And if he says blog, you say, yes, sir. Can I do one a month, one a week? Okay, yes, sir. Do I have to get baptized? Yes. Okay, yes, sir. Picking and choosing over baptism? Are you kidding me? Are you freaking kidding me? You might have to bleep that out. Serious? One of the most basic commands, and we can't obey that. The Lord is my shepherd who got baptized. If you have not been baptized, get baptized. If the Lord is your shepherd. Secondly, he loves the sheep. See, Eastern shepherds know their sheep intimately. They're not just sheep, but he knows them. He's not just begrudgingly looking after them. And I believe this is an incredible picture of the love that God has for his people. In John chapter 10, verse 14, it says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. What does God know about you and I? He knows us by name. Remember when Jesus was on the beach one day and Peter was working and Jesus shouts out, Peter, follow me. He knows his name. There's this short little guy. His name's Zacchaeus. He can't see Jesus. He gets up a tree and Jesus walks by and says, Zacchaeus. He knows us by name. When Mary's at the empty tomb and she's just bewildered and confused and upset and wondering what on earth is going on. What have they done with my Lord? Jesus, who she thought was a gardener, says Mary. And when she said, when he said her name, she said, oh, teacher. He knows us by name. He knows you by name. This may be your first time in church, but he knows you. You may feel like, oh, yeah, but you know, you, you wouldn't want me in the church. You don't know me. That's fine. God does. And he loves you. He knows you by name. He knows you better than you know yourself. 
He knows us by name. He knows us by nature. See, while sheep are all essentially the same, they have their own personalities and characteristics. And people are the same. Human beings, yes, but all different. Look at the 12 apostles. You've got Peter, this impulsive, say it as it is kind of guy. You've got Thomas, who's just, I'm not sure, I don't know, unless Jesus shows me his hands. All human beings, but just so different. You've got Andrew, who's this people person. And he's going to let everyone know about this new friend he's got in Jesus. He goes to Peter and says, hey, Peter, you've got to meet this guy, Jesus. See, that's Peter. That's Andrew. And Jesus knows them by nature and treats them accordingly. He says different things to Peter that he says to Andrew that he says to Thomas because he knows our nature. Pete and I are quite different. I'm sure you'd agree. And God knows the difference. He knows us by name. He knows us by nature. And as a result, he knows our needs. God knows us so well, he knows us better than we even know ourselves. In John chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus said, stop making judgments by mere appearances, but stop and make a right judgment. He didn't say don't judge. He said, make a right judgment. This is what most often we do. We look at someone and we make a judgment about how they look. And when you judge a book by its cover, you can be oh so wrong about a person. But God knows you by name. He knows your nature. And now he knows your need. And so he'll speak accordingly. And these are incredible examples for us to follow. That we don't just write people off because of how a situation looks. But through conversation, we get talking. And we extend the benefit of the doubt. And we don't make a judgment by how it looks. But we make a right judgment because we actually know the situation. And one of the best ways you get to know a situation is through asking questions. Instead of just assuming. You trod on my toe, you must hate me. What? Maybe I just didn't see your foot. (laughs) Stop judging by mere appearances, but make a right judgment. Every judgment Jesus makes about us is accurate because he knows us better than we know ourselves. He says... In Psalm 23, this is David, that it's your rod and your staff, they both comfort me. The staff for caring and the rod for correcting. And David says, I need them both. I need the care factor and I need the correction factor. I need the rod in my life. Spare the rod, spoil the child. And David saw them both as a blessing. He didn't just see the shepherd as the caring one. He saw it as a carer that also corrected They are both important. Proverbs 27 verse 6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but the enemy multiplies kisses. Proverbs 15 verse 31 says, He who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. Isn't that wonderful? How many of you have people in your world that can give you a life-giving rebuke? That you don't act like an immature, spoiled child when you hear it? David says, I thank God for both. I thank God for my life, that I have this shepherd in my life 
who doesn't let me get away with what I want to get away with. Because he loves me that much. He loves me enough to want the very best for me. And when I'm being spoilt, rotten, he knocks it out of me because he loves me so much. Do you know this, that love hates evil? Love actually hates, do you know that? Do you know that? Love hates evil. And so when we see Jesus correcting or adjusting, or maybe he'll use something in your world to do that, it could just be out of love. Because that's what love does. Unless we're perfect, you can't always be doing the right thing. Is this the imagery that you see when you read this psalm? Jesus leading us. Jesus loving us with staff and with rod. And the third thing is that this shepherd, Jehovah Ra, lays down his life for the sheep. What we need to understand about the Eastern imagery here is this, that at night, the sheep would be put in a sheepfold, which was made out of rocks, yea high, to keep out predators. But there was always an opening for them to get in and out. But because of that opening, it also meant predators, predators could get in and out. But the shepherd that loved his sheep would lay across, sorry camera people, he'd lay across the opening. And basically saying to every predator out there, if you want them, you've got to come through me. What a picture of Jesus. If you want to touch Peter Doe, you've got to come through me. What an incredible picture. This guy is willing to lay down his life. There's no guarantees that he won't be devoured, but he's going to do his best to stand between him and his, or the predators and their sheep. What a saviour. No wonder David had this revelation with this kind of imagery going on. That he could say, he could say, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, though I put up with a heap of junk, rubbish that people throw at me, I will fear no evil. Why? Because the Lord, my shepherd, is with me. That's where his confidence came. Not in his PhD, not in his bank balance. His confidence and strength came from this intimate knowledge that God was his shepherd and saviour. One who was willing to lay down his life for others. What an incredible picture of what Jesus Christ did for us. When Jesus went on the cross, he was basically doing something for us that we could not do for ourselves. 
Like the shepherd that laid across the opening of the sheepfold, the shepherd was providing something for the sheep that they could not provide for themselves. When Jesus went on the cross, he was doing something for us that we could not do for ourselves. The Bible says that we've all sinned. We've all messed up. We've all fallen short of God's best. God's a holy God. His standard is absolute perfection. None of us measure up to that. And because God is so holy and pure, he can't just have sin come into his presence. You know, we get so irate, don't we? When a judge would let someone who's murdered someone off lightly. We get, there's this sense of justice in all of us. Where does that come from? It comes from the fact that God is a just God. And if we had judges that just winked at people who committed murder and said, ah, don't worry, just don't do it again, on your way. We'd be indignant, wouldn't we? Because there needs to be a sense of judgment. There needs to be a price to be paid. Someone's got to pay the price. And yet when it comes to God, we think this holy, perfect being should just let us, full of our sin, into his presence. Now someone had to pay a price for our sin and our wrongdoing. Into Jesus. See, our sin was worthy of the death penalty. All of us deserve to die. And so Jesus took upon himself our sin. And he hung upon the cross and died a brutally horrific death. And was raised up again three days later. That all those that would let Jesus Christ be their shepherd, Lord and master could follow him into heaven because God the Father would no longer see our sin. He would see the perfection of Christ in us. There's only one way to heaven. It's following Christ. Jesus provides in our time of need and in our lack. He is the Lord, our shepherd. And as we follow him, goodness and mercy will follow us. Why was David able to say, goodness and mercy shall follow me? Because he was following goodness and mercy personified. It's always going to be all right for me. And I believe that's the cry of every Christian's heart. It's always going to be all right. Kath didn't go to India. You know what? It's all right. Judy Bednam's just stepped up to be the woman of God. I believe she's always meant to be. No dad, no uh, husband, no best friend, just, just got to stand and to hear her voice and the confidence and the conviction and the joy and the sense of purpose. How awesome is that? It's going to be all right. Oh, I tell you, that's one of the intrinsic needs. We just want to know that it's going to be okay. And when you surrender your life to Jesus and follow him, even though you go through the valley of the shadow of death, it's going to be all right. Best is yet to come. Even on your darkest day, it's going to be all right. It's going to get better. The key is you've just got to hang around. You don't want to abandon Jesus in the valley of the shadow of death. You'll stay there. You just follow him until you get out of it. 
He's not going to leave you there. And you follow him through. And what's going on, Lord? And you come through. Oh, it's worth it. It's Drew just giving himself to young people year after year after year after year after year after year. To have many of those that he gave himself to get on Facebook today and just abuse him. And yet he still gives himself year after year after year after year. And so what a great joy it was for him on Friday night as the youth chipped in to get him an iPad. And that gesture was right and fitting. But I know Drew, he didn't do it for that. If you do it for that, you're going to be waiting a long time. I can say this, Drew, I've never been bought an iPad. No one's ever bought me one. (laughs) Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Where's the musicians? As we get to know him, we get to know his heart. As I lay down my life, I find real purpose. And it's in finding real purpose through following this shepherd, this leader, this captain. I find myself resonating in my heart of hearts with the very same noble theme that David wrote about in Psalm 23. The Lord is, not, is, is my shepherd, I shall not want. He just takes away certain wants. I used to think I wanted so much. But with the Lord as my shepherd, I realized I want him more. And David's whole theme is, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he goes on to say, that will be my reality all the days of my life. Not for a season. Not for a day like the seed that fell on the path that responded with joy, but when troubles came, it just went. Not the seed that fell in the thorny bushes where it just got choked by the worries of life. But all the days of my life. That can be our reality. We have people who are coming to church right now, don't profess to be Christians, Oh, I love their honesty. How'd you go to church today? Oh, I don't like it. It's challenging. But they find themselves being drawn back. I'm thinking, oh, that's so good. I don't want people responding just to a happy, clappy moment. This is a moment where we weigh up and we weigh up the cost. Because for every born again Christian, you're going to have to go through some valleys. And you're going to feel like giving up and giving in. But if you've seen Christ, if you've seen the one who has eyes like fire and yet eyes like doves, who has a big tattoo on his side that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords, whose face is more brilliant than the sun, if you've truly seen him, 
Oh, that cost becomes no cost at all. And you'll serve, and you'll serve, and you'll serve, and you'll serve. And people will come and people will go, but as for me and my house, we will serve, and we will serve, and we'll serve. Because I've seen this shepherd, and he's the only one worth following. My desires aren't. My whims aren't. My wife, I love her, but she's not worth following. My kids, I love them, but they're not worth following. They're going to lead me to bankruptcy, I'm telling you that. <laughs> I don't have enough money to please my kids or my wife. I don't have enough, whatever it is that you need from me. But I want to tell you there's something about this man. I love him. I'm infatuated by him. He's the love of my life. His name is Jesus. And I lay it all down. And you know what? In laying it down, He's given me real life. I feel like I live in the exaltation that Paul brought to the Thessalonians. Oh, now I really live. And that life can be yours. But it starts with a death. You want real life? You've got to die to the leadership of El Capitano, number one, numero uno, chief shepherd, senior pastor of the universal church. His name is Jesus. Tempted and tested in every way. Just like us. For you young, red-blooded, testosterone-filled men that are struggling with your hormones, Jesus gets you but he never faltered. Rescues a woman caught in the act of adultery, saves her life. I'm telling you, that woman is putty in his hand and he doesn't abuse the situation. What a man. People are abusing him. His best friends have abandoned him. As he hung upon the cross, people are mocking him. And though he doesn't have much voice in his breath, what he says is profound. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That man is worth following. The disciples understood that. They said, I will follow you to death. And every one of the 12 disciples died because they would rather follow him than have a life of pleasure. I know when I mentioned the Lord is our shepherd, you didn't expect this. I know it messes with your Jesus, meek and mild, blonde hair, blue eyes, just there for me kind of God. That's the biggest lie. Jesus is a man's man. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. God bless.